The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Culture Insanity Podcast. This is episode number 14. Uh, episode number 14 here at the, you know, almost the end of May here. So, uh, yeah, welcome back to the show. Thanks for thanks for those of you that are already here. We're already waiting. We appreciate that. <laughs> and thank you to those that will listen in the future. So, um, it was already, you know, posted, but... Uh, yeah, what we're talking about today, we have, and Pastor Monty will appreciate this, Bill Gaither has made uh, some of the, some some news in terms of what he's got going on, still being relevant, so hooray for him. Uh, we are going to, you know, touch on something that's kind of exciting uh, as far as Zack Snyder goes and those comic book lovers. Um, we're going to talk about this new documentary about... Um, the woman known as Jane Roe uh, from Roe v. Wade. Her real name eludes me at the moment, but FYI. And then if we have time, we're going to you know, touch in on some John Krasinski news with his show. So those are the topics of discussion today. So first of all, welcome guys. Welcome Josh. Welcome Pastor Monty. Thanks for being here. How are you guys doing? Yep. Hello. Good. Good, good. All right, so we'll, we'll start it off the top of the show uh, with, uh, with a softball. Uh, so Bill Gaither, Pastor Monty, you'll appreciate this, yeah? You're a, you're a Bill Gaither guy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's going to be the uh, he's my nominee for choir director in heaven. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's he's still uh, finding ways to be relevant, which I'm sure you'll appreciate. But so he is supposedly going to be hosting. A new show on the Game Show Network. Um, now, most young people would have no idea what that probably is, but there is a Game Show Network. Um, but he's going to be hosting a show on there with the um, the purpose and goal in mind to expose expose people to the gospel. So he's hosting a Christian based. Um, game show, you know, uh, with, you know, different questions and, and trivias uh, of, and stuff of that nature. And so, um, yeah, he found himself in the news. And I don't know when exactly that's supposed to be going down, but that's in the works. Um, and that's interesting. Uh, but so... Let me let me read a snippet here uh, from the from the article. And, and Josh, it's on, the, it's on the thread there if you want to post yeah, it in the comments. Yeah, I'll get it. Um, so it says... When the Game Show Network approached Gaither about working together earlier this year, he knew it was a great opportunity to share the gospel with people who may have never heard it. Although Gaither is known as, to many as a singer and songwriter, he also values bringing families and people together, qualities that make working with the Game Show Network a perfect fit. One of the things that captured the attention of the vice president of the network was his warmth and so on and so forth. Um, and she goes on to to ask him some questions. So the first question she asked him is, you're a gospel legend, and what made you want to partner with somebody or some entity like the Game Show Network? And she says, one, and he says, one of the things I love about what I do is the time we get to spend with the audience. 
Um, people have a lot of options when it comes to how they spend their time, and I'm always grateful when they choose to spend time with us, whether it is a concert, videotaping, so videotaping, he says. We love sharing stories and laughter and so on and so forth. Um, but basically, the long and short of it is um, he wants to, you know, continue to expose people to the gospel, um, if not through music, well, I, I guess music will be a part of his show, but through this game show network show that he's, you know, producing and, and hosting and whatnot. Um, so initial thoughts, and I have a I have a couple questions regarding that, or maybe I'll just ask my questions first, but um, is this actually going to be effective is a, is a perfectly appropriate question. And then uh, is this... Is he, um, is this a, a productive outlet for exposure? And I guess what I'm thinking of in terms of that is how many people of this current generation even know about the Game Show Network? And so who's, like, who's his target audience, I guess, is what I'm thinking about. Like, do young people even know that the Game Show Network is a thing? And, and then, like, does this sort of move or idea, um, you know, well-intentioned, but does this will does this have a, a danger of sort of trivializing um, the gospel message? Pun intended. <laughs> mm. What do you guys think? Well, those are all good questions. <clears throat> I mean, they're and and those are the types of questions you said that the executives of the uh, game show network approached him, correct? Um. Let me read it back, but yes. keep going with your thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so if they're the ones that approached him, I'm sure that, you know, they, they've batted this around in the, uh, in the boardroom and tried to figure out whether or not it would be profitable to, to go that route. You know, Gaither, if you're not familiar with uh, his organization, first of all, it's a multi-million dollar organization. And he not only does the he not only has the uh, the vocal band that he, he he tours with, but they have what's called a a homecoming celebration that they that they uh, produce, and so it's which is which is more interactive with the audience and what have you. So I mean, it's not like he doesn't have experience in dealing with those types of. Uh, issues, and not only that, he's well versed in the aspects of in in the production aspects. I mean, he's not just a singer songwriter, but he, you know, he has a uh, a huge uh, volume of uh, work that is attributed to uh, you know, as I said, the the Gaither Enterprise. So you know, I. I don't know. You know, you never know if something's going to work until you try it. You know, and I, I, it's like you know, standing on the, it's like the old method of preaching, uh, standing on a soapbox and and uh, trying to gather a crowd around you. Is that is that effective or not? Um, it doesn't hurt to try it. Do you have personal thoughts on it though? Like, it sounds like you're being objective but do you have like personal thoughts on like this venture in, in terms of it being a um like is do you think he's like disillusioned in terms of its effectiveness or like what do you, what do you personally think 
Do you watch? The well, no, no. I, I mean, in in regard to that, I mean, you have to recognize that that uh, you know Gaither is still very creative. He's getting up there in age, but he's still very creative. And and as I said, he's got, you know, he's been involved in the uh, in media industry uh, from the beginning of his career. So I, I, I don't know. You know, he's like possibly supporting. Huh? He's been he's been doing his thing f- since like the fifties. Oh yeah, a long time. Yeah. Long time. And he was on the forefront of of uh, pioneering, you know, uh, broadcasting and and uh, from from the standpoint of producing, you know, shows and what have you. So I, you know, he may be approaching it from the standpoint of. Uh, you know, of the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul said, you know, uh, what I'm in, what I'm excited about is, we, you know, I'll paraphrase it, but I mean, basically Paul's attitude was that, you know, as long as the gospel is furthered, I'm good, I'm in. It seems, it's just on the surface, it just seems like a move, like you're talking about him being a pioneer in, in production and, and whatnot, in terms of how he, you know, his ministry, but it just seems like a move that would have been made like decades ago. Like the game show network is obviously still a money maker, right? But is it is it even like what? Like again, like what's his target audience? <laughs> what's his target audience for people who haven't heard the gospel? He says, like, what's his target audience? That's my question. What do you think? I don't. Yeah, I don't get it. Can you um? Can you? T- Turn the gain up on mic one there. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really get it personally. I don't understand how it fits in the game show network. It's not, it's not, so, like, evangelism is, evangelism is built around a call to repentance and confession, you know? And I just don't, like, I, I guess I just don't understand how that would I understand it if it's internal, like, you know, within Christendom, like if your target audience is yeah. within Christendom, which I assume mm-hmm. it probably is if the Game Show Network is is um, approaching him, right? So the Game Show yeah. Network is, is approaching him and they're saying, hey, we think that you would be a good fit for our network. Uh, and so they're probably looking at their demographics and saying we have um, – uh, you know, a bunch of old Christian white people <laughs> and watching um, him. But I, I sh- it just doesn't feel evangelistic. Like, I just, I don't, I guess I don't know. And if it's being presented as an evangelistic opportunity, I guess I'd have to ask the, the question of where confession and repentance comes into it. And that's what he's presenting in this interview he gave. And as an evangelistic opportunity. Right. And if that's the case, how does that, how does that work with a game show? I just like, how do you call, how do you call (laughs) like a new admonishment (laughs) to confess and repent a, you know, a, a, a game show. I just don't. I, I. I guess I'd have to see what offerings he has to to really be able to understand it. But I. I can't unpack it in my brain. And for those of you who don't know, I'm pretty out of the box 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so if you can't, if you're wrestling with how it will be productive, in what ways it can be productive, not to say it will be, even you know, even with whatever, but <laughs> if you're yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's all how you package it. I think it's a Bible. If if the if it's right, is it going to be something like a a Bible trivia program. And, and that's why I say in my question, like, how does this not just trivialize things? Like, how is it meaningful? How is it relational? How is it, you know, all these things? It just seems so surface level. Which I, I guess I don't know. Maybe I don't know. For that. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm weirded out by it, and I guess I'll just have to see what his shows are. And again, like. If it's like Jeopardy or something like that, like Bible Jeopardy, like perhaps that's edifying to the Christian community. Yeah. But I just don't see how that works for the non-Christians. Also, yeah. let me just add let me just add another element to it. Like game shows are about competing. They are about um well, like basically generally the, winning money. <laughs> yeah, the the point I'm going to make here is that under a certain context Game shows are about selfish ambition, envy, um, greed. Maybe if you win, um, you can earn your salvation. <laughs> yeah, maybe it should be a Roman Catholic game show. Mm, the, the, the makings of uh, religion and capitalism joined together. Yeah. Mm. Yummy. That, that at least... Yummy. Sorry. That, that at saying, least makes sense. The, um, the nature of game shows is that they're competitive, they're... Yeah, and I just don't. How do you put that on display as Christians? How do you put that on display, you know, and and have like good Christian charity, you know? Unless it's like, unless it's like your winnings are toward good Christian charity or something. Like I, I guess I just, you know, you see these people up, jump up and down on the prices, right? And you can (laughs) see like the greed Mm -hmm. in them, you know. I just, I just don't get it. I. I don't get it. And for the record, I, I'm not going to say I love game shows, but I have no problem with, with game shows as a form of entertainment to a degree. Yeah. But I don't see how that runs in line with ministry. Yeah. Like, I can see how it runs in line with, like, humanity and it's interesting entertainment and so on and so forth. But in terms of ministry, I, I don't get it. Like Christianity is a documentary; it's not a game show. Yeah, and it's not meant for I have, purposes. I'm not. I don't disagree with you, Josh. I, I there and Adam, you certainly you have good. Look, questions. I just want you to turn on Bill Gaither. That's the point. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, not gonna, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not not going to happen. I, what I would say is that you know, um, it's kind of like fishing. You throw the you throw the line out there and see what happens. And I and I will I guarantee you, I will guarantee you this: you are correct about one thing, Josh. Um, you know those the producers of those types of shows, they're in it for one thing. No, they're in it for money, and and they, so they they try different things to see if there's a market and to see if it's you know going to be a go or not. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Uh, so I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I do think that that Gaither is is savvy enough 
that if he weighs those questions and comes up with the same answer you do, that he'll withdraw and say, you know, this is this is not going to work. I mean, let's hope so, because even on Christian television, like some of these things are the end of people's ministries. Mm. You know, oh, yeah, I, mean? I don't even watch, you know, I don't even watch shows like TBN or, you know, any, any of that type of stuff, because some, some of the... Some of the stuff that is on there is just ridiculous. Well, at least on TBN, something like this would make sense. That's the thing. Like mm-hmm. on TBN, it's an, it's an internal ministry toward... Yeah, but this is a secular venture. So I, I, I really do worry that it, it trivializes the gospel. Oh. Mm. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't know the details. The show hasn't even aired yet or been made yet. So there's, a specific, but... there's a specific way in which it could be okay. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. Um, so tune into the Game Show Network <laughs> if you're interested. Stay up, stay up to date on that. Um, all right, next topic, and this is just more of a fun topic, but there's also maybe some relevant, you know, questions we can pull from it. But the Snyder Cut. Mm-hmm. So a couple days, a couple days ago, right? Two days ago, maybe. Yeah. Very recent news. Um, for those comic book fans out there, uh, Zack Snyder announced that he is going to release his version of the Justice League in, well, next year, 2021, on HBO, HBO Max, Max. Um, which is kind of exciting. For those of you that don't know, he had like a family um, tragedy that he had to deal with, so he had to pull out of the Justice League. It's it's more than that, though. They f- they fired him. It just happened to be it happened to coincide. Really, I didn't know. That. Yeah, they didn't like the dark direction that he was going with it. That's why they which is pulled weird in Whedon. because he did two at least two full movies before that. Two full which movies were leading them there, and The Watchmen, which yeah, is also true. which yeah. is also DC and dark. <laughs> um, anyways, so he's yeah. For those of you that don't know, I guess so. He he was fired. Uh, he had to abandon, on whatever level, his his project for for whatever reason. His project and you know this this child he was creating with the DC universe and you know properties, um, and Joss Whedon, another another fan favorite, um, came in to replace him, and you know lightened it up and whatnot. And basically, he created a whole different movie um, and different story. That's yeah, a Frankenstein of a movie. Yeah, than than Snyder had originally intended. So it's exciting because he announced that next year in 2021 on HBO Max, he's going to release his version, which seems um, to be a, a long, long version. They're talking maybe even in like a miniseries format. Or right, maybe a, a max, f- maxi-series is what it's called. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, or if it's a movie, it's going to be like a four-hour movie apparently. Um but it's cool because uh, he, I guess he kept like the hard drive of all his stuff when he left the project. Like he took the, which sounds like it could be weird. Like, does he have like ownership of that? Sure. I thought that when you're doing this kind of thing, you're entering into contract saying whatever you produce is ours. Yeah. The, yeah, but it's not produced yet. That's nah. the thing. It's all raw. But the thing is. And so, Pastor Monty, do you? I feel like you may be losing track of what we're talking about here. Do you know what we're talking about with Zack Snyder, director? Yeah, I'm tracking. Okay, so and so, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. You remember those movies? 
Sure. Okay, so that's Zack Snyder's universe, and he made everything dark, and some fans didn't like it. Like, there was the whole controversy with Superman snapping Zod's neck and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember you talking about it. Yeah, so directly after Justice League aired, a lot of, a lot of fans were like, okay, Joss Whedon, you know, Joss Whedon has not steered us wrong with the um, Avengers, although some could argue that Avengers 2 is less than stellar. Um, I certainly did. But, uh, but um, he hasn't steered us wrong, and he's a fan favorite, and he came in to fix it, fix it, quote-unquote, to make it studio-worthy. And it all sort of coincided at the same time. So he, Zack Snyder was... So Warner Brothers wanted a bigger audience, mm. and so they wanted to make it less whatever, and Zack Snyder had this grand vision of what the Justice League was going to be, yeah. and it was Years super huge, making. and he had this huge plan that he outlined for like multiple movies, and basically Warner Brothers was just like, no, this is too much, and <clears throat> then he started, and then his, apparently in his personal life, things were spiraling out of control, and so it was kind of a firing slash mutual decision, like mm. basically he would have been fired. Right. Um, so, but directly so, after Justice League, so directly after Justice League aired, there was a hashtag right. that went out called Release the Snyder Cut, mm -hmm. where people were like, Justice League is terrible, and we want Zack Snyder's vision. And that happened three years ago, and it's been going strong ever since. Yeah, like a, a strong hashtag yeah. and, and like cultural campaign to get the original. Um, yeah, get him back. Get him back. Get him back. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's sort of like a, it's a like a next level of fandom type thing. And we recently just saw this also with like Sonic when the trailer for Sonic yeah. was released, and mm -hmm. fans of that prop. Well, that looks downright terrible. It did look downright terrible. That looks downright terrible, and there was such a negative reception to it that the studio. <laughs> went back and completely redid like the whole graphics of of that movie um and that was like a kind of a first of 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 its kind type thing you know it's like setting records or whatever sonic is is it yeah like it's it's um it's up there as one of the like most successful uh video game franchise mm. oh yeah cuz video game movies generally tank i think well, yeah i don't know <laughs> So who's backing uh, Warner who's Brothers? Backing Snyder's version. Well, that's what makes it unprecedented yeah. in my mind. Yeah, is that it's not. So we've seen this before. Um, I mean, Adam talked about Sonic, and they revised things, but but um, we've seen before where fandom was able to get things made. Obviously, uh, Star Trek was what was. Yeah, we is, talked about that last time. Is the big one, mm -hmm. but. Um, but like Veronica Mars, for instance, they were able to like fund f fan fan fund yeah fan fund of Veronica Mars. Arrested film. Development was the same thing. I'm pretty sure to to campaign a new season of that on Netflix. Yeah, so I think that was the thing. So it's un what's unprecedented about it is that now you have Warner Brothers, who's basically saying that they're going to pour twenty million dollars into finishing the Snyder cut because he had all of the mm -hmm. the footage essentially done. But then they had there's a lot know, of post-production VFX stuff. stuff that has to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and he's even actually in the article, he's even talking about roping in a lot of the actors to do additional so, voice work or whatever. So Warner Brothers, yeah, Warner right. Brothers owns DC Comics. DC Comics is what makes that. So well, yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. So 
So Warner Brothers has, st- has decided to uh, give Schneider a second chance? Uh, well, see, that's the thing. I, so here's what I th- Okay, here's what I think. I think this is a super smart decision. And the reason why is because HBO Max is is basically going to be the new Warner Brothers streaming platform, which gives me questions about things like the DCU, because uh, DC Comics has its own app that it has series on and stuff. But anyway, they're, they're going to be it's it, they're creating their own streaming service as a lot of these um, places are doing. They no longer want uh, third party services like Netflix right. to do that. They mm-hmm. want to do their own. Yeah, material. yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the Peacock, um, the, uh, the Peacock series. NBC has got a new yeah, uh, the Peacock streaming network out. Peacock. Yeah. Um, do you have access to that as an Xfinity? You're an Xfinity person, right? Yeah, I don't think I have access to it, but um, but I see that they're advertising it. Yeah, I think it's actually free on some tier. But in, in any case, um, so but Warner Brothers is doing that too through HBO. HBO is going to be their brand, and so it's HBO Max, and so they want to pull in people. And for three years, they've had this huge fan base. Um, you know, that's, that's argue that's, you know, wanting this cut, right? Mm-hmm. Well, anybody who knows anything knows that it takes a lot of money to restart something. Oh yeah, I knew that. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, like that adage, like, does it, does it cost more to train a new employee or to fix an old one, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, $20 million is nothing when you're spending, you know, 500 you yeah. know, million dollars on <clears throat> building a movie. Mm-hmm. And so, in my mind, what they're doing is they're getting people to subscribe to HBO Max. They're spending less money on a pre-developed IP, and they're gaining goodwill by making fans happy. Mm-hmm. So all of that seems like a really smart decision. But to me, it's unprecedented in the sense of they're, they're bringing back... So it goes to our discussion last week about um, subjective realities... Yeah. And, and essentially, the fans have taken control. Yeah, are they are they and being submissive to this? You know, three year viral campaign. Right. Are they giving too much away? Right. They're the fans have taken control, setting and, a, a precedent that they're not going to be able to come back from. And and what's interesting about it is, so in the Star Trek universe, going again to Star Trek because they're really <laughs> the the pioneers here. Uh, the Star Trek universe, they really wanted a reboot of the Star Trek universe, and they've got two types of fandom. They have the the prime fandom that has been with Star Trek all of these years. And then you've got, like, essentially the less the less fans. I don't know. I don't know how to speak about them. But essentially, they brought in J.J. Abrams to do the 2009 reboot of Star Trek to make it more like Star Wars, to make it more, um, you know, culturally, quote-unquote, relevant instead of this internal relevance within the Star Trek community, right? And they created two universes to make that work so essentially they have within the storyline they they created a fracture point that now the prime universe operates off of and is going strong on cbs all access and then you have the kelvin universe which is where the movies take place with like the new casting like chris pine and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and both both are running side by side and they're making money off both so I wonder if that's what's going to happen here. Interesting. I wonder if they're going to make a Snyder, a Snyder verse. Yeah. 
and then allow DC to do its own thing because they have been establishing for a long so you're time have a dark a dark DC and a essentially a light DC. Yeah, well, they've been establishing for a long time that they can play fast and loose with continuity. That's, yeah, they're um, really doing that now. you know, like like Joker, for instance. Think about this: in the same year that Ben Affleck is going to essentially play Batman again, you're going to have. Robert Pattinson playing a younger version of Batman taking place in a completely different universe. No, one I year. Ben Affleck completely backed out of that. No. Oh, you're talking about for Snyder's thing. Yeah, Snyder cut again. You're yeah, gonna have again. so you're gonna have the Snyder cut with 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 Affleck playing Batman again, essentially running concurrent with in 2021 right. the Batman with right. Robert Pattinson, which comes out a year or two after the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. Which is a completely different universe yeah, than Jared Leto's fun. Joker <laughs> that took place in the DCU. It's, it's kind of intense what they're doing. And then you add to it that Snyder's universe actually showed up on TV in what we call the Arrowverse in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Where they combined all the different universes from across television, including Christopher Reeve's Superman How did and Snyder Michael Keaton. bleed into that? Okay, so what happens is... During one of the scenes, Barry Allen, um, oh, yeah, played yeah. by Grant Ez- Gustin, yeah, okay. comes in contact with Ezra Miller as gotcha. the Flash. Gotcha. And Ezra Miller is the Flash in Snyder's universe. So they're basically like blending all, like Michael Keaton's Batman and Christopher Reeve's Superman, Brandon Routh is Superman, like all of these things. So DC basically is saying, like, look, it's, it's that Star Wars conversation, right? Yeah. The, like, the Star Wars one where it's like, you can have your fandom, and it doesn't necessarily have to translate to screen. DC's going one step further and saying, look, you can have your fandom, and we'll translate it to screen. Just pay us money. Hmm. Yeah, and, and so what we're really talking about is, is um, which a lot of people don't realize, but, but the, the movie industry, this is a boardroom decision. For them to try to facilitate making as as much money as they can, and really, what it sounds to me like is that they're trying to figure out a way to pander to the generational split, which which uh, exists in our culture today, uh, where you have, uh, in, in your example, you have old school uh, Star Trek, you know that that uh, view things within that particular universe, and then you have the new. Uh, Star Trek players that are coming up with the newer stuff. The young and I've, sexy Star Trek. Yeah, that, that's fine, Josh. I mean, I've, for, <laughs> I'm not. I'm. Just, I, for the record, I'm a Prime fan. You know, I'm okay with the 2009 well, I, reboot, but I I love my original William Shatner. Yeah, I would I would probably be a Prime fan too, or classified in that way. The thing is, is that these types of things. Um, let's see. How do I put the see the. Um, it makes my head hurt. <laughs> I, like, for example, I, I started watching, uh, you know, I watched for probably one season, maybe a season and a half. I watched uh, Flash. Yeah, the CW's Flash. And, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, the, the, when, we, when you have something where you have so many storylines running through yeah, a do deal. You, do you think that... And it gets, it gets convoluted. Well, it makes I, my head hurt. Do you think or believe personally in like the idea of genre, like fatigue, genre fatigue? No, no, you don't think that there's that that 
is What's, a danger, especially with like as you say, like there's all these that? different that things. Going, there's all these different things <laughs> going on, and and this thing, and no. then the new Batman, but then this is going on. No, so genre genre fatigue is like you know a specific offset of genre like westerns, right? And then and think about how there's no westerns anymore, or how it's very rare that westerns are made because the mass, yeah, the yeah, mass yeah. public doesn't so, like that anymore. He's like, that's a shame. You're right. But but, but, but for the record, for the record, western. It's hard to find a good western. Western should never have been considered a genre. Romance is a genre. Drama is a genre. Comedy is a genre. Western isn't a genre. Sci-fi. Well, any westerns is a genre. What? Spaghetti westerns, he said. Spaghetti yeah, no, westerns. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. And the point I'm making is that's not actually a genre. That's a fad. And there's a difference between the two. Like a genre is something that's that is universal. You know that that it, that is universal in scope and infinite in nature. Like it, it's something that's that is part of the human experience. Like comedy, drama, romance, but. That's why that's why you can have those things set against a backdrop. A spaghetti western is a backdrop. Sci-fi is a backdrop. So I know that those things are considered genre, but the truth is is that you can take any of those things. And Joker is a great example of it, right? Joker is a sci-fi comic book genre, quote unquote. Um, but really, that's just a backdrop for a drama. You're talking about the the movie The Joker. The Joker, yeah, the movie The Joker, and or like same thing with Batman Begins, um, and Batman uh, the and the Dark Knight. Like Christopher Nolan's universe, one of the reasons why it's so successful is because it defies genre. Right. That's right. also one of the reasons, like, um, why so Winter Soldier is so Snyder's, successful. You know, release could breathe fresh life into it. You think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the thing that concerns me, like just from a Christian perspective, and, and again, we talked about this a little bit last week with Star Wars, but the thing that concerns me from a Christian perspective is that it's unprecedented the amount of ability yeah. that fans are being given to determine the nature yeah, of the it's, content it's being given. It's another example of just have a loud voice for a long enough and eventually you'll be heard. Yeah. You know, just be loud. Be loud for a long time, and eventually they'll they'll bend and they'll break. In, in this case, I think it's you know somewhat justified. Well, it's, in this case, it's cool, but like I'm that, a huge that's a sign of, of the culture, though. Just right. be loud, ah, 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 right? And right. Listen, you Let's know? hashtag it and uh, you know be angry. And they have to listen, and they can't ignore us, and blah blah blah. blah. But I agree. Like that's that was one of my initial thoughts. In this case, it's cool. In the Sonic case, like it's. You know they were they were um, you know justified in it or whatever. And, and let me say, Sonic was delightful. I think you know I don't disagree. I told you I it was, was not excited for it about. I was not excited about it because my son Joseph he wanted to watch Sonic, which is really strange to me because he didn't want to watch it when it was in the theater. But for his birthday, he wanted to watch Sonic, and now he's all about. He like the other day he's like, Dad, who is better, Dash, <laughs> Sonic? Or the Flash. He's thinking about characters of speed. Right. Wow. He's thinking about characters of speed, and he has this thing about like speed shoes. Like these are my fast shoes. Yeah. You know. And uh, so I think. But anyway, he wanted to watch it, and I was like, uh. And then we had to. And then of course, you know, we can't go to the theater anymore, so we had to rent. Um, we had to rent it, and I was like, okay, this is kind of lame. 
But you know, as I was watching it, I was uh, I was pleasantly, you know, I was <laughs> I was like, eh, this is okay, you know, it's fine. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing makes my brain vibrate. Confession: too, I fell asleep during it, though. Too many, too many things going on there. And and James Marsden. Can we talk about James Marsden for a second? That man, he'll never be the leading man, but he's he's a good supporting actor. He's found his niche. He's everywhere. He's, he's everywhere. He's he's a good looking guy. Yeah, he's, he's a good looking guy. A specific role. Yeah, and. You know, I, I imagine he's an it guy for for Hollywood big big production. He's a, you know he's he's always the he's always the good looking sidekick. Yeah. Who or you, the kind of the doofus who you think is the leading man, but really isn't. <laughs> this time he played sidekick to a blue animation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he was Cyclops for those who don't know. I he hope was, he's happy. He was a bunch of things. <laughs> he's found his you know he's working. Yeah. He's working. Yeah, no, I'm sure he's doing perfectly well for What himself. a delightful performance. <laughs> and let's not Last, let's not downplay Jim Carrey. La, yeah, you know. That was you know that return to comedy. Carrey. I honestly that was a return to comedy for for Jim Carrey uh, of like classic Jim Carrey yeah, comedy. I agree. I agree. When I heard he was casting the role, I was like, seriously, what is this? He's a good enough actor, so I figured, you know, let's wait and see. But man, I just kept cracking up at the way that he was delivering it's, things. He's got nuances and subtleties to his comedy yeah, that he a lot really of actors does. Build. Like really a lot does. of his comedies in his body language. Yeah. Like, and just super nuanced And these stuff. looks on his face and mm-hmm. the way that he walks and yeah. He has really great control of his face. Yeah. Jim <laughs> Carrey does nothing for me. It's over the top. Moving on. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, last question. <laughs> Uh, last last question, just in terms of uh, being empathetic or sympathetic. I always have a hard time with the two. But you guys feel bad for someone like Joss Whedon? <laughs> you know, it's hard to feel bad for somebody who's got such a like fandom following him. But I don't know. He did a hack job, mm. but he came in to do a hack job. Yeah, like it, it wasn't his to begin with. So yeah. how much can you blame him type he thing? He got paid. Yeah. He so. got told, here, take this years of dark material that's been made and now make it light. <laughs> it's like, do a 180 and make it make it a successful 180. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like he was not exactly and, given. And, and let me say, like, I was one of the few, and producer Jasmine, who actually liked Justice League. Like, I liked it when it came out in theaters. I did not think that it... <laughs> I could tell that it was a hack job. I could tell that it was a Frankenstein. And I felt like, you know what? It's okay. There were things that really, really bugged me about it. And I wished that I had got to see the Snyder Cut. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, the impossible task of, you know, X amount of years of fandom building up to this and all of these things and connecting these things and, you know, Warner Brothers wanting to build an entire franchise off of this one tentpole. And, you know, there's just so much involved with it. I felt like, you know... It was it was okay. It wasn't bad, and I think people were being mean um, in regard to it. But interestingly enough, I kind of felt the same way about Avengers two, and that's what I was that's what I was alluding to earlier. Like I was one of those people who who hated it. I didn't hate it, but I I didn't know what could be done better with it in the way that they were going with things they were it was all building to that point and they didn't build out the universe enough um 
in order to make it what it needed to be. And one of the things that the Russo brothers did when they came in and with, with Winter Soldier and then eventually, you know, took over was um, they took a more nuanced approach to it. So, you know, Winter Soldier, you know, was a classic spy story mm-hmm. um, set in that universe. They took a Kinda more... Kind of like what you were saying. Yes, like, yes. Know, same thing. They, they, they genre bended mm-hmm. so that it defied your expectations. Um, but Whedon was working fully on expectations, which is what he was required to do. And mm-hmm. so I kind of felt like that would be really it, hard for him. It also reminds me of, like, um, the Star Wars thing arc of the the latest trilogy yeah it's like jj abrams was working you know within a certain realm but then ryan johnson comes in and he yeah. tries to yep, exactly he tries to really like you know change things and you know you mess with people's bibles and then people get all pissed and then and then abrams comes back in to sort of reestablish it and then there's like these little subtleties undoing each other and yeah it's just this awkward thing at it's like level, mommy and daddy are fighting at the <laughs> At the level that you're moving, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned yeah. if you don't. And, and if you're, you're and too, if you're one like... of those pioneers in that, then that is a very difficult position to be. And I wouldn't wish that on them. And 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 you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it was very hard for Whedon in particular to come off of Avengers feeling like I don't know what I could have done differently with what I've been given, and I don't want to do this again because you know. It, it's too difficult. It needs fresh eyes. And then to go over to Justice League, which is the rival, quote-unquote, company of um, Marvel, you know, and to have that thrust on him again, you know, and then to have fans immediately be like, release the Snyder Cut. We don't like what you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's kind of a terrible position to be in. So I have a lot of respect for Whedon, not to mention I will forever be grateful for for bringing Buffy and Angel and all yeah. of that into the universe. And James made a shout out earlier in the comments for Firefly, the uh the lost the lost son of the Buffy verse. Nah. I right. find the I, I find the, the the whole thing very exciting. You know, for just, you just a have half an aneurysm a, there? Just or? for half a second I thought you were actually yawning mid thought, but then I quickly realized that you were being <laughs> yourself. Okay, moving on. So there is a oh, – sorry, eating the mic there. There's a new documentary that was just released yesterday actually on Hulu, and it's called AKA Jane Roe. Um, for those that don't know, Jane Roe was the sort of pseudonym that, another, that a woman went by during the whole Roe v. Wade pro-life – pro-choice, you know, case back in the, like, early 70s, mid-70s, something like that, yeah? Um, so it's it's a documentary called A.K.A. Jane Roe that was just released on Hulu um, about the the person of Norma McCorvey, who is Jane Roe. Um, and, yeah, there's it's, it seems like it's interesting. I was telling Josh that maybe... Sometime in the the near future, although we don't know when yet, maybe we do a, another watch party for that, um, just as a point of uh, a topic of discussion. Um, but it's interesting because that woman, you know, went on to have a conversion experience of some kind in the in the '90s and became on the pro life side. Um, well, in the documentary, um, she admits that her whole pro life conversion um experience she had she she went on to become like roman catholic is my understanding um 
she says that it was all a lie and that she was being basically paid by that that side, the pro-life side, to say and do and act how they wanted her to, um, you know, to to undo, you know, the damage that she, you know, done had done or whatever for, in, in the in the case of Roe v. Wade, um, which is you know, controversial and crazy and whatnot. And then of course, all these people that knew this woman. So was that, so, so was that her form of penance? Well, no, it, how can it be if, <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe she just saw the money and was like, ching. But in, the point is in the documentary, she, she recanted her whole conversion experience completely. Um, and this was prior her, this, this was started, this movie, this documentary was being made prior to her death because I think she just died recently. Do you know, do you know if there's actual footage of her recanting or, or it's just people saying that she did? The interviewer, the, the, the filmmaker, that's the impression I'm getting. The filmmaker like was sat down in her home. Like she's kind of like on her deathbed type thing. Like she's not doing well. Her health is like really failing. I think she died in 2017. The the movie was being made starting in 2016. So yeah, he was like having like bedside conversations with her and and, and such. But so yeah, that's well, the int- first question that comes to my mind is if she was in that state, was she suffering from dementia? That's you know that's a valid question. But so for the purposes of discussion here, so there's the there's the context. There's a film being made about the woman and the life of and you know whatever of this woman who you know, played a part in a very, you know, culturally significant uh, time, you know, culturally significant, politically significant, all these things. This is something we still talk about today. Um, It's, you know, one of the most divisive and controversial topics of discussion uh, that you can talk about, you know. Um, And, you know, inevitably it forces you onto one side of the political spectrum. But um, speculating on it without having seen the documentary and what given with what I you know just said in terms of context how will this change the landscape of this you know topic of conversation like did her conversion ever even matter on a larger scale or was the damage done already from 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 the court case of the 70s of Roe v Wade like so in this documentary she's you know recanting a conversion but did her conversion ever really matter on like a, a large scale like if it was sincere personally of course that matters right and you know whatnot but on a large scale like does this even matter t- to us i guess you get what i'm saying like yeah the whole the whole controversy behind the documentary as the article alludes to is that well it was never even a sincere conversion so she, she you know went on this this uh, crusade or whatever on the pro-life side. She recanted her position from Roe v. Wade and, and then lived the life of of whatever. You know, she did a turnaround. But, like, was that was that ever significant on a, in terms of the discussion because of what had been solidified? Well, I think that it... You know, again, I, I I think I'd need more context to really understand. But let's mm-hmm. let's just give the documentary the benefit of the doubt here. Um, in in terms of the hypothetical, okay. Um, I think what it does is it highlights that our position as uh, our position as people is malleable, 
and that the that there's difficulty in um like becoming icons of a of a particular movement uh that people are dynamic i i i think that for the thinking person it i think what it does is it outlines a danger in making the the testimony of one person or the stature of one person mm. into the um the precipice for an argument you know the our conviction should be based on what the truth is and not whether a person ascribes to the truth or yeah, not the doctrine of an um, argument you know when we get you know like and i think about um civil rights and like basing it on say mlk yeah um you know like when you look into who mlk was mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't really a great man in terms of his personal life <clears throat> um I mean, he did a lot of significant things um kind of forced into that position but he wasn't a great man in his personal life does that undo everything that that he did well for some it does it definitely tarnishes um definitely what hmm you're raising that would be okay um for some it does it definitely tarnishes him um and it sort of takes him out of the running for things uh for the thinking person and then he can be used um, as a method of attack, if people, you know, uh, I can't remember. I didn't look too much in it, but Robbie Zacharias just died, um, and he's a he's a Christian apologist. And I was reading some of the comments, and most of them were respectful. But there was this one comment that was just talking about like scandals in his life, and how he like leaves the world with scandals, and so on and so forth. Um, the thing is, and I don't know because I've never heard those scandals, so I don't know, and I didn't look too much into it. Uh, it's gossip, um, as far as I'm concerned. But, but with that said, it highlights for me the danger as a Christian of banking my worldview on a person mm-hmm. rather than on you know idea. Yeah. So, in my mind, I'm happy that Roe um, had a conversion experience. Uh, but it didn't make her right or wrong. It just made her on the site of, on the side of right or wrong at a certain point in her life. And, and I just want to point out also that to me, it's not particularly compelling one way or the other. Um, but instead just speaks about the human condition mm. that it must have been a very difficult existence for her yeah. to be turned into the, to be turned into the icon yeah. of a movement, um, why would she... It must have been very difficult and very confusing for her to be turned into the icon of, of a movement. Why would she... Um, she's in a damned-if-you-do-and-damned-if-you-don't position, you know? She's offending one party or the other, mm-hmm. and ultimately, if your position isn't 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 fully based on truth or if your idea of the truth vacillates because you're so confused by, by having this sort of um, mother Mary of a, of a, uh, of a movement status um, that could, that it wouldn't be hard in my mind to get you to a position where, where you were like, you know what? I'm done with this. I, you know, I, 
didn't understand what I was doing or I was just lying or I was just acting or, you know, any of these things, you well, know, to recant, to try to make it go away, you know? In the, in the article, which is quoting the movie, and it's the filmmaker's last name is Sweeney, it says in the documentary, Sweeney claimed that during one of those visits, because he was, like, visiting her um, at her house, um, during one of the visits with McCorvey, she made a self-described deathbed confession in which she alleged that she was paid to become pro-life. And this is a quote from her, from the documentary. I was the big fish. I think it was a mutual thing. I took their money and they'd put me out in front of the cameras and told me what to say. It was all an act and I did it well too. I'm a good actress. And then she goes on to say, if a young woman wants to have an abortion, that's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it a choice. But yeah, she like basically allowed herself to be the puppet for a cause. Yeah, and I don't hear in that that she is that she, I don't I don't find that statement to be a mutually exclusive statement about her feelings on on her abortion or any of those things. Hmm. Like I don't. What I hear is like she can still hold the position of being pro-life in her conversion and still be able to say something like that you're saying? Plenty of Christians do. Hmm. Like a fact-value split? Yeah, plenty of Christians hold the position of pro-life uh, in, in terms of their personal choice, but yeah. not for others. They, yeah. they feel that they don't have the right to say anything about somebody else. Right. That's not to, you know, and, and then I hear a I little bit. I know people like that. Yep. And then I hear a little bit of bitterness and resentment in terms of being made the icon of movement. And, and she, but she even says it was mutual, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, it, it, it worked for her. It wouldn't surprise me at all if people were lobbying, giving her money, um, making life easier for her to make that decision. That does, I, I'm not surprised at all if if Christians did that um, and if she took that money. I don't think it changes the conversion experience. I don't think it changes her position. I don't find her words to be mutually exclusive. Um, and I think it outlines – but I do think it makes it muddy for us. And that is why you don't base your convictions on a person. You base your convictions on oh, – what is it, it that MLK said? He said something about this. Not on the color of your skin but on the something of your convictions. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? The one day men would be judged not, not on the basis of the color of their skin but on yeah. the basis of the strength or the – something of their convictions. I don't know. I know what you're talking about. But uh that's it should be based upon it should be based upon that, you know, whether your convictions have a stand in a transcendent reality. The um, content of their character. Yeah, 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 yeah. The content of their it's character. The I, the I have a dream. Um speech. so I'm going to go further and say not not on the content of your character but on the content of your convictions whether those convictions stand up to a transcendent reality i think we have a misunderstanding about how to view things um so yeah to me it outlines the danger the danger of putting our faith in into a man a human being mm -hmm. um so you know for a lot of people roe um they like to throw in that extra oh by the way did you know that she became a Christian in the end and recanted her experience? So, mic drop. Well, maybe not. What is it? Why do you throw that in there? That's a that's a that that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts there, Pastor? Additional. You know the the whole 
the whole Roe versus Wade thing is uh, is is very very muddy, mm. and I you know the, the reason why it's so so much of an issue for pro life pro choice is because it uh, it basically galvanized uh, each uh, position yeah. that people were taking in regard to this issue and and uh, the but but if you go back and you study the the uh, the actual documents uh, which made its way up through the court system to the Supreme Court the actual issues have been blurred from what they were and and much of the uh, much of the science that existed at the time the decision was made um, has been uh, debunked oh yeah and we we know more today now uh, we know more than uh, than we did when when this decision was made I you know I would just have a tendency to agree to agree with Josh there are several directions you know I could go with this aside from the uh, the galvanization of uh, of each uh, position in society is one aspect of it the from a from a spiritual standpoint I have always said that the issue of the uh, the issue of abortion is not predominantly a spiritual issue it is a sociological issue that has spiritual ramifications and and i i believe that to be strongly true you can uh, so so i have i have diff, so here's my issue i have difficulty with people that um that they make that their life's work hmm. And if you claim to be a believer and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's certainly a nuance that you can take on and you can discuss about the importance of life and 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 how we view life uh, and the seminal issues which are are there in regard to does life exist once the the uh, sperm uh, comes into the egg or or does it actually exist only after um, somebody exits the birth canal? Those are issues which are uh, good for importance, but I always go back to the fact that as far as believers are concerned, um, Scripture indicates that our primary responsibility as believers is to not get sidetracked with these types of issues, but to be concerned about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because that's where true salvation is found for the condition of man. The second issue that I would uh, put out there is that uh, is that um, supposedly her conversion took place uh, inside of uh, the context of Roman Catholicism. And and if that's uh, if my understanding is correct, that's just exchanging one lie for another. I don't know. I I think that's a little bit harsh, but uh, I think that there's plenty of I think there's plenty of Roman Catholics who are actually Christians. Uh, God will make that choice, not me. Well, it is pre- it's interesting. Like if you read Revelation, for instance, and you look at 
the woman who rides the beast and um in 17 16 and 17 i think and you look at uh john or is it the angel i think the angel like says to come out from her it's you know before before yeah, judgment yeah. is passed on her mm. um, uh, you know um this is interesting from the standpoint of what we're uh, discussing uh inside of my church history class and one of the things that you have to look at is that the the Roman Catholic Church for years represented a segment of what they claimed uh, was Christianity, and yet the church has been built up in such a way that it was founded on a lie, and in its history it continued to perpetuate that lie in the practices of the church. So whether somebody can be a Roman Catholic and uh, truly be uh, a disciple of Christ, that's debatable. But from a scriptural standpoint, um, the Jesus of Roman Catholicism is not the Jesus of Scripture. Sure. I'm just saying, you know, you have a house, and that house has been turned into a whorehouse, but you're a baby that was, you know, raised there by, you know, by a prostitute mother. That doesn't mean that, you know, that, that, that house isn't actually a house and it doesn't mean that it's not a home and it doesn't mean that it didn't start in the right uh, way. What it means is you got to change some things if you want to have the life that you're supposed to, maybe even come out of that house or stop those activities within that house. It's very different than, you know, somebody claiming that something is one thing when, when it's the other versus, um, you know, so like Joseph Smith, for instance, Mm. um, versus something that actually started, in a good position, like the Church of Rome wasn't started by the Pope, you know, um, and so I don't know. It's very. I think that God will call out a remnant from from that house, and I think that that house is not is no longer biblical um, for for you know thousands thousands for over a thousand years. Um, but that being said, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm prepared to push back on it, but I feel like I feel like I need to push back on the issue of uh, whether it's a sociological, whether it's just a sociological issue. I mean, I I think that you could easily say that um, somebody being, I'll take a carpenter because Adam's a carpenter. Um, I I think you could just as easily say that. Uh, living for carpentry, you know, living for the weekend, working your job. And like, that's what you do is, is, is also inappropriate. Um, in terms of like being in, in, is just as inappropriate. Um, if, but less than, okay, how do I say this? (laughs) So the statement or correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there, I'll go, I'll go with what you stated when you started, uh, the road you're you're starting to go down. Um, you're not prepared to deal with this. Wow. Uh, okay. So that's not what I said. That's not that, what I said. I that, said I'm not that, necessarily. That is, that that is what you said. No, it's not. I said. I said. No, 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 no. See, when you say when you, we want to get into no, here. when you say I'm not prepared to deal with it, you're painting it as if I can't handle the situation. Versus what I said, which is I'm not prepared to push back. 
I would never present, you know, that, Josh. I know you're you're always prepared to deal with whatever, even if you're not prepared. Okay. I can't tell if you're being facetious. But what I said was that I wasn't sure if I was prepared to, to really push back on that issue, which is what Adam just said, to articulate my point. But articulating my point is not the same thing as re-articulating and disseminating somebody else's point. And I, I'm not necessarily prepared to articulate my thought process on it, but I know that something sits wrong with me there because I think there's a false correlation um, about you know the, the person who makes it their life to take down something that is evil um, – as if that is, as if that's inappropriate, and, and and then I would say like anybody who goes to a job and makes that their life is 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 worse. Like you know, like if if you if you're a carpenter and that is what you do with your life, but you are not trying to take down evil in that process, which one do you think is more beneficial before God and before man? So I would say that a person who does make their life about abortion is actually much more morally sound and in character than the majority of Americans who go to church on Sunday. Um, I'm not saying that is Americans. I'm saying the majority of Americans who go to church on Sunday, but live their life for a paycheck and for family. I would say that the person who, you know, lobbies against this atrocious, uh, genocide, um, you know, and that is, that's them making their ministry, their life it, is in a much more moral position than the person who doesn't. So that's what I'm pushing back against. No, that's fine. I think when you get into the the discussion about the effects of abortion and how it polarizes society, uh, and then you bring into it the spiritual aspect of things, um, I'm just saying from a theological standpoint that first and foremost... Um, the responsibility of the believer is to understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ and to live as a disciple of Christ in all aspects of of uh, of, of who they are. Yeah, but we're so yes, you may have a uh, predilection towards wanting to deal with this issue of abortion because of one way or another. But how you work that out, particularly in the name of Christ, is just as vital as your conviction. So you have some people that because they have that conviction, for example, open up counseling sessions or uh, counseling offices where they help young women to explore uh, biblical alternatives. On the other hand, you have uh, some people who uh, are so overcome that they either uh, humiliate and shout at people that are coming in and out of uh, Planned Parenthood offices or even go to the extent of seeking to kill them. Yeah, um, I don't think I th I think that you can I think you can soundly argue that those people are not of sound mind in that process. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. They're certainly zealous. My point is, is that 
is that first and foremost, the responsibility of the believer is to live to glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do. But that's not... And not to be, and not to be taken off on some nuance. Okay, but that's, it's, it's hardly a nuance. And that's not sub, that's, it's not some, 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 some subjective esoteric thing. There are guidelines by which Christians are supposed to live their lives. And one of those guidelines, one of those guidelines is that they're, that it's supposed to be holistic in nature. So it's not just spiritual. Um, our focus needs to be uh, physical as well. And the outworking of that physical outworking of our faith is the uh, doing good works in the community, specifically taking care of the widows and mm -hmm. the orphans. And who are the orphans if not those who are rejected by their parents? So yeah, that does include the living, but it also includes those who are about to be rejected by their parents. Well, that's an extrapolation, Josh. I think it's a logical I one. I, I don't know that I would go that far. Well, when God, when, God, when God says specifically, I never wanted you to sacrifice your children to me, when people ascribe the worship of Moloch to him, and he says that, this, that the worship of Moloch is an abomination over the course these of history. Were children, these were actually children that were being sacrificed. I know. They were already. They were physically to, to born what? and had come through the birth yeah, canal. Yeah, but to, to what? To what end? They were being sacrificed for the ease of their parents. They were being sacrificed yeah. to a god who who was basically promising to give them back something, convenience, yeah, riches, all of these things, by giving them their children. What? Why is that different? Just because we put it in a clinical, uh, you know, in a clinical world, it being these were already born children. These children were earmarked for sacrifice. They were born into sacrifice. So it's like it's 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 it's, it's analogous. Time, it's analogous. Moloch and abortion is analogous. Yeah, you're you're extrapolating, Josh, and that's fine. It's sound. Say, it's sound. When you say I'm extrapolating, you're dismissing the extrapolation. It is sound extrapolation. Moloch and, and, and abortion is analogous. I am saying that that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, uh, was uh, presented in Jerusalem. There were lots of abortions going on. That's and that, Jesus no. didn't. Jesus no. didn't address at all. That particular ill of society. No, that's not. No, that's that doesn't work. That's not. Show that, me one place where he addressed. He did not. You realize that that argument works against you, right? That argument works against Christianity and the sovereignty of God's reign in a society. The reason why Jesus didn't address it is because it was normative mm -hmm. in Jewish culture to be against abortion. Same as homosexuality. Yeah, what you're talking about now, like, applies on multiple levels where you can just say, "Well, Jesus didn't say it." Mm -hmm. Well, that's, actually, that's not what it is. It's homosexuality is addressed in Scripture, um, not by Jesus, quite quite vividly. Not we're by Jesus. About, yeah, we're talking about by. Go Jesus. back into the Old Testament. You're not, you're you're not, not, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. And the Old Testament addresses the Old Testament addresses the killing of babies too. I just talked about that. That being no, no, said, no, that being said, Jesus. No, it talks about children in the womb, too. Jesus specifically 
just because he didn't say it, it doesn't mean that he didn't consider it to be normative and in line with the established law. That's a, okay, that's a bad my, fallacy to hang on to. Josh, here's my position, straight and forward. And this is a discussion that I don't know if it's helpful to the audience, to our particular audience. But the reality of it is, is as I said before, abortion is a sociological issue having to do with the issues surrounding society that has theological uh, ramifications. Would you say the so same thing about homosexual you marriage? You can argue for the things that you're arguing for, and I don't have any problem with that. I'm just wondering how I far that goes. I do have a problem with believers. I do have a problem with, with, with people who claim to be disciples of Christ not understanding their responsibility and how it is that they represent him in the in the issues that are in society today. But why? If you believe that those issues are are specific to society and not specific to believers in the outworking of things, then why would you care about how those things would be represented by believers to a societal issue? Because when people that are claiming to be to represent Christ, so we're talking about church, other types of groups right. that that stand out in public and shout uh, and shame. You mean who do it the and, wrong way? In vile, in vile manner. Remember, I grew up watching all this, you know, happen. At this point, this is. An academic discussion for you, maybe, but I grew up watching this type of thing happen, and I'm just going to tell you that that in no way represents who Jesus Christ is and how He cares for society. But for me personally, here's the real issue: abortion is a straw man, because the real issue is, which Scripture clearly speaks to, is and 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 Planned Parenthood and all these people that are take the position they take, is what it really speaks to uh, is is uh, the responsible use of the gift of God in regard to intimate sexuality between uh, two individuals. And, and, the, and what abortion represents, which is never brought up, is the irresponsible actions around those people that are uh, fornicating and, and, uh, and not following uh, the mandates of Scripture in regard to how they use their sexuality. That's the real issue. No, that's a completely separate issue. No, I believe it's I believe it's tied directly. And you know what, Josh? The reality of it is, is uh, I don't know everything, so I'm okay with that. God will sort those things out. But for me personally, that's that's my position on how I will deal with it. From a pastoral issue, this is where I'm concerned. From a pastoral issue, I need to be able to direct my congregation into... You direct the congregation to keep it stuck where it's belong and your women to close their legs and not to uh, engage in, in things which are inappropriate according to Scripture. You do realize... And then you don't have to worry about the issue of abortion. Uh, you do realize that there are people who are sexually assaulted. There are, there's, there's a lot. Like, I just, that, that statement is um, small. That statement is very small. 
and and it from a pastoral issue like what we're dealing with it, like you're talking about it pharisaically like Jesus came for the sick like and wow. that's 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 you're, what that's what we're dealing with is wow, what we're gosh, dealing with wow. is you be careful about what you're saying you're telling me that I'm small and you're telling me that I'm being a pharisee I did uh, not tell you that you're small I did not tell you judgment in your statement is inappropriate for coming from a, a pastoral standpoint. Why? Because I'm neither of those things. And if I'm addressing a specific individual... Why? I didn't tell you that you're small. I didn't tell that you... I did not tell you that you're small, and I didn't tell you that you're a Pharisee. And it is completely within my right, it's completely within my right and responsibility to address another Christian, especially when we're in public and we're talking about these things, it's completely within my right to address another Christian right on point. Now, I didn't if, accuse if, you of anything. I don't believe that's on point, Josh. Here, let me, let me just state that as a pastor, if I'm dealing with somebody who's having these types of issues, I'm going to go from Scripture in a loving manner, but I'm going to go back to the root of the issue. If somebody truly was attacked, and now they have a child because they were raped... Would you allow them to... Would you, would you, in your, does your thinking allow them to have an abortion if they were attacked? My thinking allows them to address the options uh, in a prayerful manner and for them to struggle uh, before the Lord with how it is that they're going to uh, be able to do that. So you're not answering my question. You're saying it's between no, them and No, I am answering your question. That's, my, that's not my decision. My decision isn't the issue. My, as a pastor, my responsibility is to pray with that individual, to empathize with them, to give them options available. Of course, of course. That's your responsibility. That's your responsibility, but how do you... That is your responsibility, but how do you guide them if you cannot admonish them in the correct path? Now, before you cut me off a while ago, what I was going to say is, my responsibility as a pastor is to lead people into safe places where they can rest and be nurtured and so on and so forth. That's, you know, Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, right? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. These are, these are the things that we're supposed to do as pastors because things are always going to be coming at people from a negative position. And that's why I said, that's why I said that the thinking is pharisaical. I didn't call you a Pharisee. And why I said it's small because it doesn't, and I didn't say that you're small, because it doesn't address the issue that we're dealing with, which is from a pastoral perspective, not from an on-paper perspective where everything is clean and pure like what you're talking about, where it's just like, hey, if we prohibit it, then we won't have that problem. Well, guess what? We have that problem. We don't need to talk about, we don't need to talk about how to get out of the problem or how to keep it from coming. From a pastoral perspective, I'm here for the sick. That's what Jesus said. I came for the sick. The sick are the ones that need healing. So let's not talk about how you got there. Let's talk about dealing with the issue that's at hand. And then keeping you healthy after. Yes. That's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Sure, and I have no problem with that. As I said, if I were addressing somebody in a pastoral sense that um, I had to deal with a specific circumstance that they found themselves in, then I would follow guidance from Scripture uh, in a loving manner 
uh, and present them the options that are available of how to move forward. But I don't but hear don't you forget, saying that. Josh, I don't hear you saying that. But don't forget, Josh, that Jesus also said to the Samaritan woman, go and sin no more. Well, that's why we're saying. After you doing just, what? You, <laughs> after doing what? After she's lived with several men, and she's now currently living with somebody who wasn't her husband. And forgiving her, right? He was, he was very clear to and, her. And forgiving her. So, well, he so, the point her is, the, so the point he is he addressed her, her spiritually. He gave her the option to partake of living water himself. Yes, but he addressed her spiritual needs and then said, go and sin no more. And now, when we're talking about a spiritual need, what we need in this situation is admonishment. And what, what I'm hearing is there's no real admonishment to be given. Like when you were talking about, you're saying, hey, this is a sociological issue. I don't need to give you any advice. And when I asked you specifically, when I asked you specifically about does your thinking allow for you to actually give admonishment to somebody if, for instance, they were raped, what you said is, well, they just need to pray about it. And then, you know, whatever is between them and God is whatever is between them and God. So how is that helping the sick? Uh, wow, you really waxed over, uh, you know, a couple of things. First of all, Josh, I, from an academic standpoint, what I said is abortion is a sociological issue. It does have spiritual ramifications, and we come to the issue understanding the condition of man and understanding those things which bring about the necessity for somebody even considering abortion. In a very specific issue, I specifically said that, yes, I would sit down and I would encourage and admonish that person from Scripture I would also discuss with them looking at the options which are available to them. But be very clear, Josh, and maybe this is where we disagree, but be very clear, as and I believe that we talked about this last week, I am never going to put myself in the position of telling another believer what they will or will not do. I am going to present to them what Scripture has to say, I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to give them options for their circumstance. And then uh, they, it is up to them to make the decision because they will stand in judgment uh, before God of the, and, and deal with the choice of their decision, not me. Actually, the scripture says that if you have a chance, that if you have a chance and you don't take it to tell somebody something right, then you'll stand in judgment. Um, that's not... you. Obviously, you didn't listen to what I just said. No, I did. That's the problem. I was direct that I would tell them what Scripture has to say and and uh, give them the options of the choices they need to make. But I make choices. No, I'm, not, I'm not hearing you say. I'm not hearing you say that if somebody is asking for an abortion, that you would tell them that that is not in line with Scripture. What I'm hearing you say is that's a sociological issue that Scripture doesn't speak to, and Jesus Christ himself never even said anything about it. I would say to them that I would, we, would, we, would, we would look at whether abortion was appropriate or not from a scriptural standpoint, and we would look at whether abortion was appropriate or not from where that individual is coming from. So are that that abortion is is in certain circumstances okay. 
yes, there are circumstances where, yes, it is, uh, it is okay, but it is not preferred. But you have to take into consideration the, now you're getting into the nuances, you would have to take into consideration where, uh, what the spiritual, physical, and emotional strength of an individual who had just been raped, what it would do to them in order to have to carry that child to term. And so you would have to go through that process. Um, there are options available um, where the person doesn't have to go down the path of abortion uh, in order to uh, be resolved of that issue. When you say okay that's but not very, preferred. That's a very thing. When you but say okay but not preferred, what do you mean by that? Again, your question? When you say okay but not preferred, what do you mean by that? What I mean very clearly is that if you, if you have the emotional strength and you have the ability even though you've been traumatized in that fashion, to carry that child to term, then you should carry it to term and have it adopted out. And what if you don't have the emotional strength? Then you think that it's okay? You really want to nail me down, don't you, Josh? I think that when you're, te I think that, I think that when you're teaching... It's okay, but not preferred. That would be my stance. But my stance would also be that you need to pray about it Remember, we're talking about a believer, so you need to pray about it and ask God to give you wisdom as to how you're going to proceed. And you don't think that we can give wisdom because that would that would be um, that would be tantamount to telling somebody what they will do. Is that what I'm hearing? I'm not going to tell somebody what they're going to do. But you know that we're supposed to tell, especially believers, what they should do. Right? Yeah, I already said I'd do that. Okay, so then shouldn't we tell them that they should not get an abortion? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, see, that's this entire time, I, this entire time, I haven't been hearing you say that, that's and I've been hearing you dance choice. around it. Yeah, because you want to hear it within a certain way. Well, that's not an acceptable choice. It's not acceptable to God. No, it's not acceptable. And, and I think we have to be. I think we have to be careful with but it because you could to say make the same thing. Choice. I think we have to be careful about it because that's a slippery slope into sin. Mm -hmm. you, we have to be careful that, about it because a person can say a person can say Jesus never directly talked about homosexuality. My feelings are something I can't get past. So though it's not a preferred choice to live a homosexual lifestyle, it's the one that I'm going to make, and I'll live in God's grace. And I know that that well, sounds that may sound extreme. That may sound extreme to you. But that literally is what the gay Christian movement is. Yeah, except the problem with that is, Josh, uh, is Scripture is very clear, both Old and New Testament, that homosexuality is not acceptable in the eyes of God. Okay. And therefore, not acceptable within the church. You can say, you can say that a person has homosexual tendencies. You can say that they may have a predilection to that but once you claim to be a disciple of christ and you claim to be covered by the blood your old self is dead and you are a new creation and you are to live as a new creation uh, as a disciple of christ which and would that be... homosexual issue that you dealt with 
that homosexual issue is going to be the same as your predisposition towards stealing or gossip or lying or, or murder other that is there or murder or murder mm -hmm. the same Any predilection that says the the same predilection that says i am not capable of or i am capable of all things through christ except dealing with the difficulty of raising a child that i don't want um, Lucy Brown says, the problem with the abortion debate is that no one wants to talk about the consequences of choices. Pastor Monty does, for the record. Instead, people talk about the results and people take sides. As a Christian, I am to follow the scripture. I am for life. There are babies that grow up meant to be discarded that became a productive member of society. I think we all agree with most of those points. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a complex issue. My and I don't want it to be trivialized by the the. Uh, but but as I said, I believe that what we see happening in society today, to bring it back to a cultural issue, I it, what we see in society today, the arguments which are there are straw man arguments, and they really don't address the 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 central issue. Listen, Josh, I will I will will assert. And I believe that I'm right. I don't know. I don't have the statistics in front of me. But I will assert that uh, about 85 or 90 percent of all abortions that take place uh, around the world take place not because of some traumatic rape situation. Yeah, I think that you're probably right in that. I will say, though, that a large majority of abortions... Um, and I don't have the studies in front of me to, to back this, but I know it's a truth. I've read it multiple times that a large uh, number of um, um, psychological uh, um, – that there's like PTSD and stuff um, from people who get abortions. That there's a large amount of regret yeah. from people who get abortions. Yeah. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that people are ill-informed about when they go into abortions. Mm. So just because it's not traumatic, uh, it's just because it's not a trauma-induced abortion, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean that everybody is particularly prepared or a willing participant in it. I think that a lot of abortions are gone into because they believe that that's how you handle the problem of a baby that you don't want. Mm. And so from that aspect, there's sort of a, a rape of the willing, if you will. Um, it's sure. a, it's and a huge, another. it's a huge injustice. And so, yeah, I, I, agree. I, so I don't, I don't think you can, I don't think you can, un, I don't think you can unpack or undo what I'm saying by, by simply saying that, you know, the, that, that, that the statistic is a nuanced one because I, I think the problem is a much larger one. And I think the church has to deal with it by, by saying that, Hey, it's not a, a merely sociological issue. We're not Gnostics. We don't separate body from spirit. And, um, and we need to claim, as a church, we need to assert uh, that, that, this, that this is an issue that is central. You know, it's, it's central to our understanding of life. It's central to our understanding of family, the family unit. And then beyond that, it's, it's also... Um, a, a command in the outworking of our responsibility as Christians to take care of the widows and the orphans, those who are dejected by society. And so I, 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 I really, 
I'm not saying that I have all the answers as to how that works. Certainly our church here in Portland, Aletheia Bible Fellowship, um, its prime focus is not on abortion. Um, but that being said, I don't know why it would be okay or why it would not be okay for a church in its ministry, in the spreading of the gospel, to outwork itself with a focus on abortion. As long as, it's, as long as that is one aspect of it, certainly a focus on abortion, on taking care of the elderly, the dejected by society, uh, taking care of the poor, as long as those things fall under the umbrella of spreading the gospel and aren't now an, an idol, mm-hmm. it seems to me that, that not only is that appropriate, but that we can't relegate it simply because some people do it wrong to being a sociological issue and not a theological one. That, that is tantamount to Gnosticism. Um, so that's, I guess that's why I'm pushing back so hard on it. And you're welcome to push back. If you are a church that is, that is nuanced towards that particular aspect, or if you have people in your body that may have been traumatized at one point, uh, and have strong feelings about abortion and they want to follow through with that, in the context of their Christianity, I'm making some assumptions here that we're not talking about somebody that that uh, grew up as a believer and has been careful in how they conduct their life and made choices that are productive. But I'm talking about many of the people that come into the church, come into the churches later in life with lots of baggage. And if part of your baggage is that you have this issue of either uh, abortion in your life or a child born out of trauma, then you, and that may be a passion for you as you progress as a believer. But first and foremost, your responsibility as a disciple of Christ is to recognize that the old man is dead and you are to walk as a new person in Christ and to learn what that means on a daily basis. If you then want to work out this issue of nuance in your life, then the church has a responsibility to guide you in productive ways to do that, that Christ might be glorified. For example, your participation in a counseling alternative type of thing. Yeah, to, to, guide, to guide and to equip, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. That being said, let me just highlight something about Christ. Um, when Christ came, he didn't show up as a 33-year-old on the cross. When Christ came, he spent his time with sinners, to the point where his dissenters called him a drunk. And I think that, I, I, I think that it would be wrong... Um, to call it nuanced to for for people in ministry to you know to meet people at that level i think what is the purpose of ministry what is the purpose of sharing the gospel if you don't meet people at that level and so i think in, in discipleship of christ what we need to be able to do is to march up to that cross and to be like christ when the time is right but in the meantime what should we be doing? What should our application look like? And it should be taking care of the widows and the orphans. Um, so I, 
like, I think, I think that we have to be careful. The, the other thing that I'll say there is that I was just at a church in California this last, uh, I don't know, six months ago or something. Um, I was just at a church in California and I was talking to one of the, um, youth leaders, right? And the subject of abortion came up and she didn't care about it. Like her thought process was essentially, she was apathetic. Uh, well, her thought process was, yeah, I know that theologically it's complicated, but it's not really a spiritual issue. And so it doesn't bug me if somebody gets an abortion. Like, I believe women should have choice. Hmm. And it was completely – I don't know if apathetic is the right term. She had thoughts that, on it, but it was that, – it, it, that, that statement that she just made is a contradictory statement. Well, it's, it sounds very similar to what you said. Which is why, no, believe me, mine is well thought through. Okay, the, well, that's exactly my point. Perhaps your position is thought through. I don't know if I would agree with the well statement, but it, but perhaps it is thought through. But a generation listening to it, a generation who hears their thought, the thoughts of their parents on it, um, learns to build that as a foundation for it. You know, and so now you have a new generation of non-thinkers, as you might call it, who are in the church thinking, you know, well, it's their personal decision and they'll operate on God's grace. They'll operate on the overflow of God's grace rather than operate on on the uh, blessings of God's character. And so there'll be s- factions of Christianity. Yes, so factions. The, the gay abortion Christian. The, yep. Or, sorry, sorry. The abortion Christian movement, the gay Christian movement, the so on and so forth. Right, and that's that's what we're actually seeing within the church, um, and that's one of the things that we need to fight against. And so, you know, again, that's, well, that's, the, that's, that's why, why I said earlier, Josh. That's why I said earlier that really, as far as I'm concerned, it's a straw man because the real issue is is that is that what young people need to be taught today is what scripture has to say about their sexuality and about how the outworking of it takes place as far as the believer is concerned. Well, what, so, what young people ladies, need to be taught is to think. What young people need to be taught is to think and extrapolate based on what scripture says. Not not simply on, on, um, on creating... Uh, a doctrine that's devoid of thought. If it's not in print, it's not there. Uh, I think that's a problem. There is an. Ex- I'm not understanding your point. My point is, is when you're a believer, your responsibility is to live as Scripture would have you, and Scripture sets the term for how it is that we act. And that means if you're a young person and you claim to know Jesus Christ, then guys, keep it stuck where it belongs. Right. No, you're Maybe. making my point. You're making my point, and you're about to say, keep your legs closed. Okay, first of all, crude. But second of all, you're making my point. Scripture never, point. scripture never says, keep it stuck where it belongs, and it never says, keep your legs closed. What you're wanting is for people to extrapolate, extrapolate yeah. the truth based upon what they read in Scripture. Hey, I get you. You're making my point. And my point is, they should extrapolate that abortion is wrong. And they should extrapolate, I, it, and they should extrapolate, is. and they should but extrapolate, never, and... But the believer should never get there to begin with. 
And, well, but what we're dealing with is sick people, not healthy people. So we need, we need to stop operating on that level. We're talking about sick people here. So then we need to extrapolate that our Christian responsibility is to minister to those people uh, and to their children, unborn or about to be killed. Those are the all extrapolations. The broader outworking of that, Josh, the broader outworking of that is that abortion is an event which has to be dealt with one way or the other. It's a major decision. It's an event. And you need to approach it from the standpoint of compassion and the issues I've talked about. It is not something that the believer should be considering. If, if you are pregnant and it's because of your poor choices and you're not adhering to Scripture in regard to the purity of your of your uh, uh, sexuality and your intimate conduct, you're just going to be faced with again and again and again the same issue if you don't learn what it means to be pure in your sexuality. And that that is a true statement, okay? But it's a small statement because it only represents... Uh, okay. No, listen. It only represents one faction of thinking. And I think that you perhaps have an archaic or anachronistic understanding of where society is at in regard to this thinking. There are Christians who are married within the sanctity of their marriage in young people, Dad. There are Christians within the sanctity of their marriage who believe that if they're not ready to have a child, they should just abort it. Like, this, well, is what I, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. It's much more, it's much bigger than the way that you're painting it. Those believers are, are uh, incorrect. I agree. And so... <laughs> so, there we are. <laughs> as I said, the subject is nuanced, has, has many different nuances. So, if you're going to be talking about believers that claim that they follow Christ... And yet they still considered uh, they still consider that abortion is a form of uh, of um, uh, I, I can't even population control or or you know uh, they don't want the child or whatever um, that's inappropriate and needs to be addressed on a very personal level in their spiritual growth, which requires admonishment. And so it becomes. Yeah, so that, it becomes, that I agree with. So it becomes that really. I agree with. It becomes really muddy when you make statements that indicate that we're not supposed to make statements that indicate no, anything. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. The overarching issue, the overarching issue, falls well within the parameters of what I said. Now, if you want to talk about specific nuances, then you have to go in and you have to look at each specific instance. And I have been right on target on each one of those instances. I have a much broader view than you give me credit for, Josh. I will give you credit for what you express. Sure. Okay, well, we have done a spontaneous two-hour special with this episode, <laughs> episode 14. So uh, I, should, I should remind people that are still with us. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have some people. The, this conversation is not without love, and we are not going to stop doing our show now <laughs> because we had a you know a, a huge although exchange. interestingly enough, y- yeah, I was getting that. yeah. <laughs> although interestingly enough, we, we're we're not recording we an episode. The board, the we're program. not. We're not recording. Wow, we're not recording an episode next Saturday because here at the church we're doing a um, big Building. big project yeah. outside, so we won't have time to sit down and record. So, but what we will do is we'll air a uh, rerun. Yeah. So pick your pick your episode and tell us uh, in the comments what you would like to uh, watch again or think would be um, good for us to air again. Um, and if you, uh, you know, uh, post in the comments and, uh, producer Jasmine will make a decision. And if you don't say anything, then we'll just pick. There's been some, li- <laughs> there's been some lively <laughs> ones. There's been some lively ones this season already, but all right. So we're coming back again in two weeks. So look forward to that nine o'clock in two weeks. Um, hey, if you're in the Portland area and you want to come help us, <laughs> if you're in the Portland area and you want to come help us with our building project on Saturday, we'll be, uh, next Saturday, which is what the... 20th. 30th. 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 There you go. Next Saturday on the 30th, we're going to be pro- uh, installing a fence um, while social distancing. So uh, that, should, that should be fun and interesting. Uh, but, you know, come out and help us. All right. Adios. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance